Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. somebody that we often talk about on Slamfire, Tim Crosno. He is one of our friends. He lives down in Texas. Right now he's sitting on the porch and enjoying himself and he's um, yeah, he's kind of poking the bear there where he's um, got that flag flying behind him. But why don't you introduce yourself Tim? Howdy folks. Yeah, they, they do talk about me. Yeah, they do talk. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. I'm uh, my name's Tim Crosno. I live in a little town southeast of San Antonio called Lavernia, Texas. Uh, currently, the temperature here is it's freaking hot. It's uh, yeah, it's hotter than eighty six. It feels like it, but um, Celsius. Do you know what that is in Celsius? <laughs> no, eighty six Fahrenheit. I have no idea. It's probably <laughs> high thirties, mid to high thirties. Uh, is that right? No, maybe no. No, no. So, what did you say it was? Eighty six. 86. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, about 25. Yeah, really? That, that low? Oh, okay. yeah. See, I got no idea. So anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely a Slamfire fan. I've, uh, I've had uh, Kelly and, and Rick and uh, uh, who else is down here? Oh, uh, I've been down there. Yeah, Adriel's been down. Adriel's been down there. I've had a bunch of people down here to visit me. Uh, I am um, in, in, in uh, I'm also, and I know the topic tonight is a little bit different, but I'm also a uh, designated shoot boss for uh, Project Appleseed down here. So the events, pretty much all the events in San Antonio, the, the 25 meter as well as the known distance events, which we also have down here. So uh, I do both. Um, let's see, I've been a uh, beekeeper, uh, which is what we're going to talk about tonight for about, I started in 2016, so we're going on my fourth year of beekeeping now. And uh, I'm married, no kids, six dogs, and a cat. And um, <laughs> about uh, about the extent of it. I, well, I work for the U.S. Air Force. I'm an engineer for them. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm an employee of the Air Force. Awesome. And you're a really, really nice guy, despite what everybody else says. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My, my secondary job is Internet Troll, uh, <laughs> which, I, uh, which I claim, and I own it. So there we go. Yeah. No, he's actually really one of the most nice, nicest people I know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Tim was talking about it. He already let on. Uh, he is a beekeeper. And uh, I know, you know, this topic is totally not about guns, but we were looking at topics that people might be interested in. And people actually stated that they were interested in beekeeping, uh, especially during the pandemic. It, and, oh, it's coming back. So, um, Tim. Why do you, why would, okay, so why would beekeeping be something that you can do in a pandemic and be something fun to do? Uh, the, the reason it can be is because it's probably the quintessential social distancing activity uh, that you could ever do. I mean, it's, it's um, uh, not only that, it's, it's one of those things, um, especially for preppers, mm-hmm. where you've got something to actually trade. 
Yeah. Uh, you've got uh, honey, you've got wax, you can make uh, tinctures from the, uh, and we can get into this later, there's tinctures you can make from another product that, that bees make, but it's, um, it's just kind of like, it, it's very much like gardening or having chickens or uh, anything, anything like that. You just have a lot of options um, mm -hmm. and everyone always loves honey. Um, so, um, and it's a loner exercise. You, you don't have to, you don't have to social distance. You're not going to have your friends over to do it. Nothing like that's going to happen. So, no. yeah. Yeah. That's fun to do too. Mm -hmm. it's very it pro provides you with food, all kinds of different things. We're going to talk about those a little bit. Uh, so how long did you say that you've been beekeeping for? Been beekeeping for about four years. For four years. Okay. Uh, I, I got interested as a small kid. Um, we used to have these, and I don't know if you had them in Canada, but they don't have them much here anymore. But uh, along the highways, they used to have these um, shops called Nickerson Farms, and they were big Tudor-style okay. red no. uh, uh, kind of uh, way stations. Well, they were gas stations and general stores. And if you went in there, and they also had restaurants. If you went in the restaurant, they had an interior plexiglass where, they were, where the bees would come in from the outside. And our grandparents would take me there. My brother and I would always run into the store and go look at those bees and watch what they were doing from the inside and they had a big plexiglass uh, shield and it would, it just fascinated me, but it never reoccurred to me again until uh, I was laid up for a little bit um, after some surgery that I had and I started doing some uh, research on it. I said, I could do this and um, just went ahead and ordered my first package, not knowing a thing and built my first hive and uh, it just went from there. Okay. So you said that just the research you did, um, how, how, what do you need? What do you need for property? What do you need for climate? What do you need? So, uh, let's see property. Um, it, it's kind of a loaded question. I've got about an acre and a quarter here and I tried keeping them the first year on my property, but there was not enough forage. Bees need a lot of forage, they okay. need a lot of flowers, a lot of, um, uh, definitely a lot of different, uh, opportunities to get their nectar and their pollen. And if they don't have that, no matter you know what, what type of property you're on, you're, you're, it's not going to be, it's not going to be beneficial to the bees and they're not going to be able to, um, uh, they're not going to be able to, uh, uh, uh live very well. Okay. Uh, what you got to do, I'm sorry, I've got to get out of the sun. My computer's going to go dark on me again. Um, you need, uh, my bees right now are about 30, 30 acres. Okay. Got four hives. Try to get this Golly, You can't even see me. Uh, let me go back there, see if I can get, get this to work better. Um, I've got about four hives on a 30-acre plot. Okay. Uh, they've got enough forage out there, so it works for me. Uh, your hives, there, there are different types of hives you could do. Most people do a Langstroth hive. You drive through the country, you'll see these long, big boxes that are white. Yep. Uh, they're square. They, they, and they can go up several feet, depending on how many boxes people put on them. So it's... Uh, uh, those are the most popular kind. I don't use those. I use a big long trough. It's more like what a fallen log would look like. Okay. It's more natural for the bees. So it's, um, uh, that's the bare minimum you need is enough forage and a cavity that they want to live in. And that's pretty much what you got to provide them with and you're good to go. Cool. Okay, so they're self-sustaining that way. How often do you actually have to go check them, maintain them? Well, that also depends. It's, it's a, 
it's a seasonal thing. Um, in the spring, whenever the wildflowers start coming out, you've really got to be in there a lot because if they, they'll start bringing in nectar and pollen and they'll start making uh, a lot of uh, honeycomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've really got to watch their population because at that point, their population is going to explode. Okay. And if the population explodes too much, they're going to swarm on you. And people say, oh, swarm. Swarm is a bad thing. Well, swarm is a is a word that's gotten a bad connotation it's not actually a bad thing a swarm is the natural reproductive cycle of bees and what they do is when they get too big uh the the queen in that hive lays an egg uh and i'm making i'm simplifying it the queen in the hive lays an egg the hive decides it's going to make a new queen okay the queen cell and then she takes about half that population and takes off knowing that there's going to be a new queen in there and about half the population left. So uh, the swarm itself is not dangerous. In fact, they probably wouldn't even sting you. They're so, they're so focused on finding a new home, they don't have time to mess with stinging you. They'll fly right around your head, and you, you, you wouldn't even have to do anything. They're just harmless. Uh, so a swarm is not a bad word. A swarm is just a, a, a half of a, of a colony of, of bees that are looking for a new home. That's all they're concerned about. Okay. So you said that, um, so what types of equipment do you need? You have the hive. Yep. You've got, uh, well, you, uh, depending on where you are, some people get a full suit. The first thing I'm going to say, or the main thing I want to say is beekeeping is regional. Okay. If I were to try to keep bees up where you are, I would probably fail. Because uh, Canada's environment is so different, you have probably, instead of one flow, like we have, we, we have, we might have two, we might have, a flow is a lot of nectar coming in. Okay. One in the spring when the wildflowers explode. You all do too, but then you get a fall flow. You might get a fall flow. We sometimes don't. Our drought will last quite a while. We call that... Right. So there is different management depending on the time of year and what kind of foliage you have. So depending on what area of the world, I'm going to say the world you live in, your beekeeping is completely different. And you've got to learn from other beekeepers locally how to do it. Uh, But the equipment involved is um, definitely a beekeeping suit or a veil uh, because bees have a tendency to go straight for your face. Uh, Your face is... That's what they go to on all in nature. You know, the bears get in there, uh, they go for the face, they go for the nose, they go for the most sensitive parts of the body to try to defend. They're defending their brood and their queen. Um, so you need something to protect your face. Um, you need probably a smoker. Now the smoker, what it does is it doesn't, it doesn't really calm the bees. It doesn't, in fact, if you put too much smoke in a hive, what will happen is the bees will leave. Okay. They're, they're going to leave a forest fire. They will take off just as if they were a swarm and they'll leave the forest fire. Uh, but the smoker, what it tends to do, if you just lightly smoke them, it tends to make them gorge themselves on honey and keep busy. While you're getting in the hive messing around, they're doing something else. It keeps them preoccupied. And you can really hear it. When you smoke them, all of a sudden, the, the bzzz starts going really loud. And they, they you could tell that they're they're a little bit agitated, but then they all dive in there and they dive after the honey to gorge themselves to get ready to leave. Okay. But get more smoke or a fire coming up, they won't do that. So that's why beekeepers use the smoke. It keeps them pacified. 
keeps them busy and it, it keeps them away from their face and their hands while they're trying to inspect the hive. Uh, you need a hive tool, which is a little, that's a little knife-like thing because the bees make, not only do they make honey, but they make a, a product called propolis. And propolis is like their antibiotic and their sealant all rolled up into one. Uh, this stuff is very sticky. It's almost like caulk. Okay. And you get into a hive after a week or so, you're going to have to pry stuff apart with this thing in order, and it pops apart. Some people say on the Langstroth hives, you got to crack the hive. Well, to crack the hive, they're splitting yeah. apart, and it actually goes crack. You can, you can audibly hear it go crack, and they're breaking the seal on that propolis. So you need that hive tool. You need the smoker. Uh, you need the suit and obviously the hive to put the bees in. Yep. It's a good start. Um, that's pretty much all you need to really get started. Uh, as long as, uh, along with the knowledge. And I, I always, I tell people, look, if you're going to think about keeping bees, get on the web, interwebs and start doing some research because yeah. it's, be, um, it's, it's a long journey of knowledge and they teach me something every year. And I made a huge mistake last year and lost two of my colonies that I've already been in, it in three years. It's just, it just was an anomaly in the environment that occurred and, and I lost them. So they're always mm -hmm. teaching you things, but the interwebs and YouTube, as long as you pick the right channels can really teach you a lot. Okay. So where do you get your bees from? Ah, great question. Um, bees can come from a couple of different places. Uh, most people do, do one of two things when they're first getting started. They either they either order them from uh, an online be an online supplier, which they will send them through the U.S. mail. I think Canadian mail will do the same thing. They okay. will send a package of bees in a in a screen box, about three pounds, with a queen and a can of and a can of syrup. Okay. Send them through the U.S. mail, and you never see more freaky areas <laughs> than when they call you up and say, "Come get your damn bees." Uh, because they're just buzzing like crazy inside there, and it really freaks them out if they're not used to it. Uh, the other way you can do it, uh, new beekeepers, is you can still get that package from a local bee supplier, which I encourage because those bees will be familiar with your environment. Okay. Um, you can either get a package, or you can get what's known as a nucleus. A nucleus colony already has... Uh, uh, grabbing a show-and-tell thing here. This is what's called a frame. Mm -hmm. Okay. Most of the Langstroths use these frames for bees and they build them out in the honeycomb, which looks like those little cells you see on the surface there, but they're built out further. Um, you get a nucleus colony, which has probably five of those frames in it. It's full of bees. All the combs built out. The queen's already running around in there. And all you got to do is pull those frames out and put them into your hive. And you're good to go. That's a that's going to be a little bit more expensive because it's basically a fully developed hive, and not okay. just a bunch of bees in a box with nothing to do. Those uh, so, and then the third way is what a lot of uh, beekeepers who established do is they go out and get a swarm. Remember the swarm I talked about? Yep. You get calls from people who say, "Hey, I get this ball of bees hanging in my tree. Will you come get it?" And of course, I'll come get it. You know, it's free bees. I just got to go up there, grab one of my nucleus boxes and shake them in there. And I got myself a free colony. So that's, that's essentially the third way you want to, you can go do it. And uh, depending on what your level of experience is, um, you can do any of those three. Cool. Yeah. So you said you have four hives right now? 
I have four rooms empty. Okay. So you said 30, 30 acres. How many hives per acre, like roughly, do you? Um, you actually don't even need to do that. If you go look at a, a website, if you go look at a YouTube channel like um, the Fat Bee Man, these are popular beehive keeping. These are these are well established, well uh, well thought of bee uh, bee YouTube sites. The Fat Bee Man or Barnyard Bees. You will see that in their yard, they're keeping nukes side by side. They're keeping hives side by side. Okay. Do that because they smell different to the bees that are established in there. They know where their hive is. Um, so you can keep them next, right next to each other if you're doing something like that. But they sell bees, and that's why they do it. They okay. Keep hives side by side. Normally, um, you, you really, depending on the beekeeper and the bee yard and the amount of forage you have, it really, you could keep them side by side. I space them out. Okay. The other the other uh, 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 thought, the other thing that you can consider is that down here in Texas, we have something called an agri agricultural exemption. Meaning if you keep enough live livestock animals on your property, you get a tax exemption. Cool. Well, yes. Well, uh, I do know you're allowed to have one yard, yard pet. Yeah. So you have you have a you have an acre. You're allowed to have a pony. You're allowed to have a donkey. You're allowed to have a sheep. Subdivision. <laughs> the covenants allow you to have one livestock. Nobody follows it. I mean, there's goats and chickens and all kinds of stuff running around here. But by the county ordinances, and that doesn't save you money, by the way, just having one of those. But by county ordinances, you can you can get an agricultural exemption, which is a tax break. So if you've got enough cows on your property or goats okay. on your property or chickens or bees about bees and it's it, it's county to county if, if I have six hives if you've got at least 10 acres in, in my county and you've got at least six active uh, colonies on that on that property you can apply for an agricultural exemption okay. so that gives you another capacity uh, that you can choose, but you can only get one. You can't go for cows and then goats and then bees. You can only get one or the other, and then you just got you've got one. Okay. As far as capacity, it all depends on forage and and you know how much area around your property you have that that can that can sustain the bees. That's really okay. what so let's talk what happens. So they produce honey. They produce what are the so tell me about the different things that they do produce because they produce a couple of different things. Yeah, there's there's essentially three well, there's essentially three things that humans use that mm. they produce. Um, the 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 tippy top one is honey. Right. Yeah, is honey and they produce way more honey than normally they produce way more honey than they need. And you can harvest it. Going into winter in Texas uh, and and this is different from region uh, again, you will require more in Canada, but in Texas for, for every one frame, I showed you that frame earlier for every one frame full of bees, I need a frame full of honey going in a winter. So I have to make sure that I leave them that going into winter. Okay. That I can take whatever's over and above that. And it's mine. It's mine to, to eat or to give away or to sell or to do whatever I want. The second product they make obviously is the wax. Uh, the wax is in there. Um, now, another type of hive, it's a lot. Yep, there you go. Another type of hive is this one. It's, uh, it's just a bar. You can't really see because it broke off when I was bringing it out here. But you see a little bit of the comb hanging off of it. Yeah. It, on, the other, on the other frame, it's very difficult to get that wax off of there because it's built out. 
Don't you have to do it with like a hot knife? You would have to take a hot knife and scrape it completely off. Yeah. This, the wax hangs down. Uh-huh. All I have to do is take a knife blade and run it across that edge that all that wax and, and honey will drop right off into a bucket. I crush it, I get the honey out, and then I melt the wax. Okay. The difference between the two types of hives. But the wax can be used in all kinds of things. It can be used in salves and creams. I use it to make candles. It's a great can. It works great in candles. I mean, uh, back in the Revolutionary War days, that's all they had. Mm-hmm. They didn't have paraffin. They had all they had was beeswax, uh, beeswax candles. So. so we're talking prepper. We're getting into that whole piece where. So as you said, salve, right? Candles. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So and hand creams. You're cutting out. Yeah, lip balm, hand creams, uh, face creams. Uh, they even put it in soaps. You can use that wax for about anything, depending on how you mix it. You mix it with uh, essential oils, other emollients. That that depends on the recipe. Depends on what you want to do and how you want to sell it. And the third thing uh, that they make, which is what I talked about earlier, was the propolis. Right. That really sticky, gummy substance they seal up the entire they seal up the entire uh, hive with. Um, it is also antibacterial. It's got a very high antibacterial effect. So with that, a lot of beekeepers will make something called, they'll make tinctures, okay. uh, which is a antibiotic ointment. Uh, honey itself is also very antibiotic. It can be used for wound treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a wound that won't heal, uh, if you've got somebody fortunate enough that has a, uh, a propolis tincture, you might want to look into that. Most people sell honey. You can put honey on that wound. Honey is very antibacterial. Right. Uh, it can actually help in wound treatment. Uh, the, well, there's a fourth thing they produce, which some people swear by. I don't know. It's called the sting treatment. Uh, okay. What's that? Produce stings. Obviously, honeybees sting. Believe me, I've been stung about 100 times. I know. <laughs> I mean, I, if I had arthritis, I probably wouldn't have any by now, but a lot of people swear by them and arth- arthritic uh, uh, as an arthritic uh, oh. uh, treatment. Okay. So, so. they themselves right by the joints and they swear. And I, I, I don't know. I don't have any personal experience in this. But they How swear. do you get somebody, a bee to sting you on specific spots? Uh, you've got to hold, usually hold them by the wings. <laughs> they sting me no matter what. But what I've seen in the videos is they, they will actually take they will actually take worker bees and they will hold them by the wings and they will put them and they're already mad at that point. Yeah. Put them right by your skin and they will curl their tails under and man they will pop you. And that little that and once they sting you, it's true, they die. But uh-huh. our venom sac pulls out of their abdomen and continues to pulsate pumping venom into your skin so if you don't want that which these obviously the treatment patients do you need to scrape it off with a knife or a credit card do not try to pull it out because you'll squeeze all that venom in there okay yeah so that there's a little there's a little uh, handy tip in case you get stung by a by a bee now the drones the males will they can't sting all right. They're bigger. You'd have to. There's three types: there's the queen, the worker, and the drones. Drones can't sting. The queen can sting. She never leaves the hive, but she can sting multiple times. The only reason the workers it rips out of their body is because it's barbed. It's got a barb on the end of the stinger, pulls completely out, and they're done. You know. But they only live six weeks anyway, so they just make more. 
you know, make more oh, bees. That's the life cycle of a bee? I worker bee in the summer while they're, while they're actually working is six months or six, six weeks. In the winter when they're out flying, and that's basically due to the wear and tear on their wings when they're out foraging, they fly, they fly hundreds of miles. Uh, and that's wears and tears in their bodies and, and drops their lifespan. In the winter, when they're, when, they're, when they're balled up into that little ball, they can live up to six months. Okay. Yeah. So, so we had somebody that actually he has um, bees and he uses them on his cranberry farm. So I'm sure that it's beneficial to cross-pollinate. And- oh, we didn't have bees. Some estimates say that this world would probably be dead in four months. That's, that's wow. the, it's, it's very stark. Bees okay. are the, the quintessential pollinator. Obviously there are others. You've got bumblebees, butterflies, all the other ones you see flying around them. Nothing to the extent of the population of bees. They just have the most massive population of pollinators there is. So go ahead. The, the bee story is true then. The, the bee story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're talking about the bees. These are dying? No, not necessarily. Okay. These that are dying, but it's only certain ones that are indigenous to certain areas. Okay. The European honeybee, uh, while there was a concern for a while with the with the uh, um, uh, the collapse disorder, uh, colony collapse disorder, mm-hmm. which was a real thing, and they couldn't figure out why it was happening, but whole colonies were collapsing of European honeybees. That was horrible. They've seemed to come out of that. Uh, there's been some speculation. It might be due to the, uh, there's a specific uh, parasite for them known as the Varroa mite that we started to really get a handle on that might have been the cause of it, but they're starting to snap out of that. Um, other, other types of bees in small areas, such as Hawaii, small indigenous sets of bees, yeah, they, they might be in danger of, of, uh, of extinction, but not the European honeybee. The European honeybee is ubiquitous. Uh, at this point in time, it's doing pretty well. There's a lot of backyard beekeepers. Unfortunately, there's a lot of commercial beekeepers. They don't treat them very well, but it gets the job yeah. done uh, because they, you know, they they pollinate orchards and you know almonds and peaches. But these guys just drop flatbeds off into orchards and they pick yep. them later and pull them off and not treated real well. But the function is needed. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have some of those fruits. Some of those they run fruits. those honeybees ragged, whereas your honeybees get a get a, a dignified death stinging you at the end of their <laughs> lifespan. Now wait a minute! <laughs> wow, wow! Yeah. You're not feeling as bad as I thought you were. <laughs> wow, dang, that's brutal. But yeah, they, they love stinging me. I got one colony now that hates my guts, man. I get in there and I'm like, you go. But that's the thing. And you're probably going to ask if people always ask about Africanized bees. Right. I'll bring that next subject up. I might as well. Africanized bees started in the early 80s by a professor in Brazil who thought he could make bees uh, more productive. And he did, but he didn't expect the side effect, which was... Yeah, they're mean little bitches. <laughs> and uh, they got out of the lab. Um, the virus. Uh, they got out of the <laughs> They got out of the lab and they proceeded north and they got they got as far as the southern US. Uh, they, okay. they cannot survive north of the Mason Nixon line, so you guys don't have problems with them. 
Uh, they're just, their genetics just don't let them do that. What happened was their genetics dispersed and they didn't, there are no pure Africanized bees left okay. in the States. Um, what are left are some of the genetics. And if you are a South Texas beekeeper and you have feral bees, which are bees collected from a swarm, I'll say from a swarm normally, you're going to have some sort of feral bee genetics. And those feral bee genetics are going to include Africanization, which is why another difference between Canada and South Texas is I have to go into my beehives with a full bee suit on. I okay. know what to expect. They can be mad because they don't have enough water, enough food, just because they have Africanization. It's too damn hot. Uh, they, anything, a pest up there, you're not going to have it. Your Af bees with Africanization genes can't survive. Your okay. bees are nice and gentle. People can go in there, some of them without, well, relatively so. Believe me, if I put a suit on you, Kelly, brought you down here, you'd be like, get me the hell out of your yard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they uh they they don't have it up there but um it's a fallacy that you know oh my gosh you'll see it on the news all the time there are 150,000 bees in this colony and they attacked this farmer relentlessly and they were africanized bees blah 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 and i said well you said probably three things wrong in that title of your of your news 150,000 bees in a colony not possible 60,000 is the max. Two, anything north of Mason-Dixon line has no Africanization. And three, they didn't just attack your farmer. My guess is that farmer hit it with a bush hog or a tractor or something else and knocked the darn thing over. Something happened that made those bees mad. So the media got it wrong. The media got it wrong. Wow. Bees. No, yeah, media got it wrong. You're surprised? I can't believe it. You guys don't have that problem up there. Oh, God. <laughs> So, um, question for you. What are some of the, uh, so if you're doing beekeeping during the whole pandemic thing, coronavirus, social distancing, you got honey. Yep. Usefulness of the honey is you can actually use it for sugar substitute. Yep. Uh, you can put it on um, salve, uh, as, uh, sorry, injuries. Yeah. And it doesn't spoil, correct? Okay, that is another fallacy. Okay. Uh, I think the word is, is uh, I want to say exogenic, but I don't think that's exactly the right word. Honey is a water sponge. Okay. okay. If left exposed to the atmosphere, it will suck up water like you wouldn't believe. Okay. So honey is only supposed to be pulled out of a hive if its, if it's uh, water content is 18% or less. Okay. Uh, which means, yes, if you keep it tightly closed on your, on your counter and there's no, there's no possibility of humidity getting to it, that is true. It will not spoil. And people say, well, there was honey in Egypt for 3,000 years and it came back. Egypt has like minus 5% humidity. I mean, they have no humidity. You could leave that honey open for eons and it would never suck up any water. But once honey sucks up water and gets above that 18%, it can actually ferment and it will mold on you at that point. Okay. So what I recommend to people is keep your honey. No, if you, well, if you, hopefully if you bought it at the store, you bought it at a store that actually sells local honey and not, doesn't sell the, does not sell the Chinese stuff. Chinese stuff doesn't, isn't pure. No, it is not pure. If you're paying a dollar fifty for a quarter honey, 
Don't pay the dollar fifty. Go to your local farmer's market, find a honey seller. Right. What I say is once you've opened that honey up, please keep it in the refrigerator. Okay. Second point. People say, well, that honey's going, it's getting a white stuff in there. It looks white inside there. And is that going bad? That is not going bad. All that honey is doing is crystallizing. Honey by nature will crystallize. If you buy creamed honey, mm. that is crystallized honey. All that honey is doing is crystallizing. So you can do two things with it. If you don't like the crystallization, and I'll, say, I'll tell you a reason why you might like it in a minute. If you don't like the crystallization, put it in a water bath like a double boiler. Do not nuke it. Don't put it in the microwave. Okay, why not? Put it in a pan of water, warm water, and it will turn right back into honey. If you, if you, if you really don't want to do that, let it all crystallize and it will spread like butter. You just pull it out like a knife and it will spread like butter on, on hot toast or a biscuit. It's a lot easier to spread crystallized than it is with that liquid stuff that runs all over your plate because it drains through all the holes and everything else. So once it crystallizes, just take a spoon or, 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 a, or a knife and spread it on your bread and it'll, it'll, it'll taste just the same. Okay. So why don't you microwave it? Because I do. Microwave it will destroy the good properties. Okay. The, the, there are, like I said, there's enzymes, there's, ba there's bacteria agents. There are good things in there for you that microwaving will destroy. It will taste the same, but you won't get the same properties out of it. So that's the reason not to microwave it. Do not destroy any of those properties that are in there that may be beneficial to you. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of the other reasons that people actually, um, who are homesteaders, preppers, whatever, they... They like to actually raise bees is because, um, well, let's be honest, we all like to drink. So, uh, <laughs> ah. have you ever made mead? I have. Okay. At that point in time, I was not a beekeeper, but go ahead. What? Okay. So, how do you make mead? Because you do need honey to make it. Yes. In my previous, uh, I'd say probably going on 15 years ago, I, I used to brew beer. Uh, one of my foyers was into making mead. Uh, mead is, is not that difficult to make, but you have to be patient. Okay. For a beer brewer, you know, it takes about four weeks from inception to drinking. It's usually a, a two week process or it's, it, it's, uh, a two week process to let it ferment. And then you got to let it age another two months to carbonate. If you put it in bottles or two okay. weeks, sorry, two weeks to ferment in the carboy, which is that big glass water bottle. And then you bottle it, you put it in there with a little extra sugar. It takes another two weeks to ferment. Boom, you're good to go. You're ready to drink it. Not so much with, with me because it's a wine. It's a honey wine. Okay. And its base component is mead or is, is, is honey instead of grapes. What you end up doing is you end up heating up the honey with water. Uh, and it goes through the same fermentation process. The, the only thing is with mead is it takes a more, uh, what we call virulent strain of yeast. Beer doesn't take a virulent strain because you're only talking about five to six to 7% that it needs to get on the alcohol. Right. When you talk wine, you're talking a nine to 10 to 11%. Okay. So you're dealing with more of a champagne yeast. So you've got to keep it in there longer. You've got to make sure you, you, you're, it's going to fully ferment. Uh, so you got to do your sugar testing. You've got to do your hygrometer testing. Hygrometer will test how much sugar is left in the liquid uh, before you actually bottle it. And it, it measures the buoyancy. It's, it's a buoyancy meter. Mm -hmm. Okay. The more buoyant it is, the more sugar it still has left in it. Mm 
So you've got, if it's not, if, if it's not showing you the right figure on there, you've got to let it attenuate further with the yeast. Uh, so, and, and all the, all the people out there know exactly what I'm talking about, but it, it, it worked for me once I did one, I used champagne yeast instead of beer yeast to do it. Okay. Champagne yeast works really well. Uh, but it will take a long time. It will take a while to get probably six months. Oh, really? Yeah. It'll take six months to ferment and, uh, up to a year. Sometimes a wine can take up to two years. I mean, it, it all depends on what your what kind of recipe you have. So. Uh, once you've once you've uh, measured it and all the sugars have been used up, and you've got the proper alcohol content, then you've got to decide whether or not you want to make it a still yeast, or a sparkling or a stills a still mead or a sparkling wine. Still mead is, is, is has no carbonation. Mm -hmm. It's much like wine. Obviously, the carbonated wine will be a fizzy, kind of more like a champagne. Um, so you could do that if you if you're going to do still, uh, you still probably want to age it longer it all depends on what it tastes like to you but you can drink that pretty much whenever because you're not waiting on carbonation but if you want to do sparkling you're going to have to do what beer does you're going to have to put it back in a bottle with a little bit of extra sugar to reinvigorate that yeast to make carbon dioxide uh so we've got some metery we got at least one metery around here i've tried it they've done very well with it mm -hmm. um it's uh it's it's delicious but it is not a, it's not a quick thing to turn it around. Um, you have to, and it takes a lot of honey. Honey is not, okay. it takes, uh, I think I might've put, I can remember, I probably put six pounds of honey into a five gallon batch. Wow. And that was probably, if I recall correctly, that was, that's more than that. It was, it was, it was two, two to three half gallon jugs. Okay. So you you got four hives. How much yield do you get? I won't get, well, again, that depends on what kind of hive you have. If you have a Langstroth hive, mm -hmm. enough to, you could get enough probably out of a year to do that. Okay. If you've got one of mine, no, mine are predominantly wax makers. I will not get enough. Uh, last, last time I got one, I could have probably done a mead. I probably got one five-gallon bucket out of two hives. Uh, so I wouldn't have been able to do it uh, with, just, with just one hive. But Langstroth hives, because of the way they're set up, I'm not going to go into it because it's a little more, more complicated and people would bore people to death, but you can actually, they've got, they've got supers that they put on top that are honey only and the bees naturally migrate up there and they can create a ton of honey. So they can probably, if they have a really good flow year, they can make, they can make mead out of one colony. Cool. So bees, everybody has to do it. You got wine, you got sugar, you got, you got, you know, makeup, you got brute candles, you got, yeah. you got so much. We yeah. owe so much to these bees. A lot of people, a lot of people freak out over them. I mean, they just, yeah. there's a, there's a, and, and there's a reason to be, you know, you're just, uh, there's an instinct to be afraid. And that's, that's, well, not, you know, because. Right they they're there to protect themselves it's like wasps or or paper wasps or hornets or anything like that you've got well, those they're those they're a little bit more angry let's be real the the wasp reason you recognize that and get away yeah you recognize hey these things can hurt and so people have to get over that and once you get over that they are the only insect that we that that uh may, provides a food product for humans yeah. absolutely only insect that does it um, no other insect does that. Um, yeah. 
And you also have to recognize the difference between the different bees too. Like as you said, bumblebee, bumblebee doesn't give you honey. It actually pollinates. It does pollinate and bumblebees are, at least in my neck of the woods, they are, they are scarce. Um, One of the bees that are becoming scarce and I would encourage if if people are into bees and you don't want to do honeybees, please provide, you know, look it up, provide some homes for, for bumblebees and mason bees. Okay. Uh, you can provide homes for both of those and you don't really have to interact with them. What are some of the best things to actually plant around your, your acreage to keep uh, bees, you know, well-fed? Very much geography oriented. Okay. Extremely. I mean, because stuff will grow here that won't grow there and vice versa. Uh, the other thing you need to know is if you are keeping bees on a one acre property, the bees will not forage on any of your flowers. They're really? Really? So the reason being is bees uh, will not start foraging because they can't describe to the other bees where this forage is unless it's probably over about 150 yards. Okay. Bees perform what's known as a waggle dance, which is, look it up on YouTube. Like, Can you demonstrate? I cannot demonstrate. <laughs> you need to put your video back on and demonstrate for the rest of us, please. He's not going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I wasn't made for this. <laughs> so what they do is they go back into their hive. They do this waggle dance that tells them direction and distance of the forage that they found. Okay. And that distance under about a hundred, 150 yards, they just can't describe. So what I tell people is if you do put bee forage in your yard, which I encourage, it's not going to be your hive, but you will be somebody else's else's or you'll be helping the feral colony somewhere um they but research the plants the plants can either be from what i'm seeing they're either pollen only or pollen and nectar we have a couple plants down here that are pollen only and a couple uh, wildflowers that are pollen and nectar are, are they attracted to color though uh yes but they don't seem to be attracted to the color red because they can't see it it's black because they see in the ultraviolet spectrum. They don't see in the, inf- the red or infrared spectrums. So they're actually colorblind? Uh, no, they are not colorblind. They see ultraviolet. They see violet. Oh. They, see, they do not see red or infrared. Okay. So uh, you will see them around yellows. You will see them around all, all other colors. Reds, maybe not so much. You probably won't see them around roses a whole lot. Okay. Um, we have one plant here called an Indian blanket that's predominantly red, but it has yellow in it. So they are attracted to that. Uh, they have, bees have five eyes. They have two compound eyes and they have three eyes on the top of their head that we, that is believed to be sensitive to the ultraviolet spectrum. So they are, they do have, it's amazing what a bee is. It's just amazing how they're put together. Uh, they have wax glands. They have, uh, they have glands that make food for the queen. They have, uh, it, it, and they, it all, they all develop depending on when the hive needs them. It's just amazing all the, all the particular aspects that the bees have. Yeah. And quite honestly, let's be real. It's a symbiotic relationship. They need us. We need them. It, we do. And, and, and they, are a, they are a multi-cell single organism. That's what they are. No single bee in that colony makes a decision. It is all made collectively. Uh, so the queen... All the queen does is put out a pheromone and lay eggs. That's all she does, put out pheromones and lay eggs. Well, that's all we do. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's be real. <gasps> combine it with liquor? Yeah. I was... <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they are amazing animals, and um, you know, if if you're if you're a, if you're God fearing or not, I tell people. I said, if you ever question there's a God, go look up bees and how they react and what they do, and maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe you won't, but. It's amazing what these animals do and how they do it. I just, I can't explain it. And there's still a lot out there that even PhD students can't figure out why they're doing it and how they do it. Just incredible. Okay. Anything that we didn't talk about that you think that we need to know? Uh, please. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's one thing I do want to talk about and that's when you have bees that have taken up residence in your house and you don't mm. want them. Okay. This is what we call a rescue situation. Um, I would strongly encourage people to please think about not just hitting them with a pesticide. Uh, the other thing I want people to know is there are no such thing as free bees. Please do not get on the internet and post it on your local uh, gardening site or your bee site that offering free bees if you'll just can get them out of my house. Okay. Because that takes, if, if it's different than a swarm in a tree. A swarm in a tree is easy. You just, you just take a hoe up there, you bounce the tree down, you pop the bees into a box and you're ready. As far as in your house, you can't do that. I have to cut, I'm not doing, I'm not a bee removal. You have to cut the wall open, right? Wall open. You have to get the comb out of there and you have to suck every last bee, well, pretty much every last, definitely the queen. You have to get all the comb and most of the bees out of there. If you do not do that and you decide to kill them yourselves, bees will come back. They will keep coming back. They will keep coming back. So you may end up spending some money on it because a normal bee rescue person will, will charge you anywhere from, depends on the length of the job, but anywhere from two to $600. I mean, it's not going to be cheap. No. The, the, the infiltration will be gone for good if you do that. And the bees will probably be rescued. You got to understand that bee rescuer doesn't have a guarantee that the bees are going to be viable. They don't, they don't know if they're going to get the queen. They don't know how healthy those bees are. They're spending up to six to eight hours, of, anywhere from probably up to six to seven hours of their time getting them out of that wall. They've got uh, mileage to get there, all the equipment they've got to use. Sometimes there's a sawzall, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's, it, here Down here, it's hotter than Hades. Yeah. So their time is involved, but I will tell you that if you let a professional bee expert do that, you will not have a problem with them coming back. Right. Which so is, how prolific can the damage be? Well, the damage, the bees won't do any damage. It's the damage getting to them and removing them. Ah. What the bees do is they just set up comb in there. So they don't, they don't chew on wood. They don't do it. They're not like termites. They don't do anything like that. But they will put in a comb, if, if you know the length of a space between uh, frames, yeah, between framings, they will set up a comb that can easily go halfway down your wall. Free honey. It, 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 <laughs> the beekeepers will do, they'll take the honey, they'll get rid of the comb because they don't know just how old that comb is. Uh, but they, they, will, they will get the honey. And sometimes someone will say, you know, maybe you want the honey, they might give you some honey. You, you can bargain with them, but just just pay them, pay them a due fair price. Right. Get those bees out of there uh, because you don't want them back. 
We do not want to keep throwing pesticides at bees. Uh, just please pay the money to get it done, and they will not come back. If they do, that be, that that rescuer will probably come back for reduced cost to, to do it for you. Now you will have to repair your own wall. They don't tend to do that, but um, they will be gone for good, and you won't have to keep worrying about it year after year after year because it still smells, even though you kill them. Bees are attracted to the smell of the comb and the honey and the pheromones that are still in that wall. Okay. So I do have a, a, a question. Um, so pesticides. Yeah. A lot of people use them on the yards. And um, the, big one, the big one that is usually used is Roundup. Yep. It's, a neo, it's called a neonicotinoid. Uh, it is, it has been known, and they've got some studies out there that it has, it is messing with the navigation system of the bees. Uh, that is why you do not want to locate your bees too close to commercial cornfields or some other fields where rest, where the, the farmers use a lot of neonicotinoids. It's not just Roundup, but there's a lot of them out there. I encourage people that it, that, that they try to use organic methods to kill uh, not only pests, there are a bunch of them out there, but, but weeds as well. There's a lot of them out there to avoid. I mean, we're, there's, as we've seen on commercials all over the place, there's lawsuits uh, against Roundup right now for people who have cancer. Yeah. So I would, I would strongly encourage people to avoid using uh, non-organic pesticides. Look online, look on YouTube, look on anything for, like for, for pests. Um, one of the best things for, for um, uh, insects you don't want on your plants, it's a little messy, but uh, it's diametaceous earth. What? Powder. It's a powder made out of seashells. Oh, okay. Basically slices and dices insects. You put it on, you put it on your plants, they crawl through it, they get sliced and diced. Right, slices right through their exoskeletons. Nice. Oh, that's just one example. And it's <laughs> natural. It's a seashell. Okay. So that's one example, but please, 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 if you're in an area where you've got a lot of pollinators, try to avoid the chemical pesticides. Okay. Yeah. Adriel, you got anything? Just silly remarks, so I'll keep them to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, PM me those, I'm sure. I'll see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our listeners actually did have a couple of questions. Japanese wasps, anything about those? What do you know about wasps? The Japanese wasp. Um, keep an eye on that. Uh, I have been reading about that for over the past two years. It is a nasty little bastard. Um, my, we've, we've dealt with invasive uh, species that are affecting the bees anyway right now, so I don't see as we couldn't deal with that one. I'm hoping that Washington State gets a handle on it. Okay. Uh, but it's it's remained to be seen they they are as bad as they say they are because they are in britain right now uh, I'm, i follow a couple podcasts there's one called the uh, uh beekeeping short and sweet if uh, by Stuart spinks uh if you look back uh, a couple episodes on his he's about 15 minute podcast so he he talks about it in britain a little bit um but they are they're pretty nasty but i haven't read much more about them uh, as far as that's concerned, we don't have them. I'm hope. Well, I'm hopeful. That, yeah. I'm, it's kind of like the mites are for you. They don't go north of the Mason-Dixon line. I hope this thing doesn't go south of the Mason-Dixon line. Thanks. When, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I've, I've got enough to battle right now. I don't need a, I don't need a two inch hornet 
And it's a two-inch hornet is what you – look it up, Kelly, if you haven't seen it. It's pretty nasty looking. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. It's a nasty hornet. It's nasty sting. It can go right through a beekeeper's suit, too, from what I understand. So let's just hope and pray that they don't take hold and that Washington State and any states that seal it can deal with it. Right. They're considered the asshole of wasps. They are the asshole of wasps. And uh, I, I, if I see – it'll be too soon that I see one. Yeah. Okay. Well, on yeah. All right. Um, that's it for me. Really, really interesting topic. Good. Yeah. Glad. If anybody's got any questions, um, you know, I'm on Facebook. Uh, most people who follow your follow your webcast and your your Facebook know me. So yeah. Um, we but, can always put them in touch with you. Yeah, put them in touch with me. I know there's at least one other person up in Canada that's a good friend. I know uh, you all know Luke Giroux. Uh He's a beekeeper up in Canada. Uh, so he can answer, um, geographic specific questions about okay. what to do. Uh, I would be more general because again, it's extremely geographically specific. Uh, Luke's out East in Brunswick. I have somebody here in Kingston that actually does it. So if you want Ontario, we got, we said we have somebody else also out West as well. So they'd be interested. So again. And it'll be different all those areas. I can tell you right now, where Adriel is, completely different than New Brunswick. Completely different. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. All righty. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for a great microcast. No worries. Hope to keep everybody's minds off COVID. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we gun owners, don't tread on me. We're fighting for you down there. Yeah. Thank you. There's yeah. an interesting. Um, so there's an interesting YouTube slash podcast that was just released this afternoon um uh tracy we were talking about it before we came on and tracy and uh colin was and he has a new colin noir he has a new podcast out and tracy was his first ever guest and they were talking about what's happening up here in canada so yeah everybody go and listen to it i'll post it on our facebook page as well so the link there but can you uh so do you remember the saturday night live bee skit oh the killer bees no, okay, then which one's odd? The Killer Bees had John Belushi and, and all those guys dressed up in the bee outfits. You no, know, that's not the one. Oh, no. you got to look that up. That's pretty funny. Okay, yeah. so we'll go look that one up. But it's the one that was about the gay bee. All they wanted was just to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> we should end it on gay bee. I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. That's all they <laughs> No, they're stinging your ass. They just want to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks, and see you on Thursday unless something else happens. Bye, all. So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.